Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WBET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later in the show, Heather Ann Thompson, who is a history professor at the University of Michigan, won a Pulitzer Prize last week for her book, Blood in the Water. She will be here to talk about that book, which is about the Attica prison uprising of 1971. Uh, She and I are also going to talk about the whole idea of mass incarceration and the roots that it finds in that Attica prison uprising, the response to it uh, by Governor Nelson Rockefeller and President Richard Nixon. You're going to want to stay tuned uh, to that conversation. Heather and I have talked in the past about this. I'm sure we will have another scintillating conversation today about those subjects, and we'll want to hear from you as well, what you think about mass incarceration and sort of where the idea for that comes from in this country and what we ought to do to reverse it. Uh, Also, if you are going to miss some of today's show or if you're just moving on with your day, you're pulling into the drive at work, got to get out of the car, uh, you can always hear full editions of Detroit Today on the Detroit Today podcast. If you go to iTunes or any place that you get podcasts, download and subscribe. You can listen to the show whenever and wherever you like. Uh, Up front today, Nikolai Vidi will be the first permanent superintendent to lead the new Detroit Public Schools Community District. In its first major decision, the district's new board uh, unanimously chose the 40-year-old Dearborn Heights native who's currently superintendent of Duval County Public Schools in Jacksonville, Florida. Board members are enthusiastic about his track record of turning around struggling schools, but the decision is still a little problematic for many community members who thought interim superintendent Alicia Merriweather should have been considered more strongly than she was for the job. She was not even a finalist in the search that the board Mounted. Meriwether had support from a wide range of stakeholders, including the unions and the business community, and she guided Detroit schools through a series of critical tests over the past year. What does all of this say about the future of Detroit schools? What will Nikolai Avidi do, and what will come to pass for Alicia Meriwether, who has helped us out quite a bit with our schools over the last year. Here to help me sort it out is Chastity Pratt-Dossie. She is a reporter at Bridge Magazine, joins us frequently to talk about education issues here on Detroit Today. Chastity, welcome to the show. Hello, Detroit. Yes, and of course, if you uh, have thoughts about the new superintendent, give us a call, 313-577-1019. Also, if you have thoughts about the new school district here, this new experiment that we are engaging in with the Detroit Public Schools Community District, completely refashioned from what we used to have out from under uh, the guidance of emergency management, but still with uh, financial oversight. What do you think about what they've done so far? What do you think they should do? What do you think is the possibility for the future of public education here in the city? Can we make a real positive go of public schools in the city after decades of stalling out really on that issue. Uh, and is this the way to do it? Is Nikolai Vidi the person to take us to that more uh, stable, more effective uh, future? Is this new school board uh, in just the few months that they've been around demonstrating that they can do that? Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDT Facebook page, put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter 
and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work your comments into the conversation. Also, give us a call and talk about what you think about funding. The way we fund schools in this state is different from the way a lot of other states have started to do it. We've been doing it this way for 23 years now uh, after Proposal A passed. Uh, there are some improvements that were that were affected by Prop A. There were some problems that we probably didn't foresee back in 1994 that have reared their heads. We don't seem to be in the mood in as a state to 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 sort of open all that back up and rethink it. Uh, but what do you feel about uh, the way your schools are, are, are funded? Uh, do you feel like you're getting enough in the district that you're in? Do you feel like the way we come up with that money makes the most sense at this point? Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number to join that conversation. Uh, Chastity, uh, I, I want to start with Nikolai Vini, uh, superintendent in uh, in Duval County, Florida, which includes Jacksonville, is an urban district of, of of sorts. My concern about this hire is the concern I guess I would have with just about anybody you would have to to bring in to 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 helm the Detroit public schools is this is a unique place. This is a school district that has problems and issues and challenges and a history that I think is not really comparable. To anywhere else, uh, absolutely. Uh, so, what's the what's the likelihood that someone like Nikolai Vidi, who, uh, by all accounts, is accomplished at the things that he's done, how does he make the translation to a place like Detroit, where a lot of people would say the system is set up to fail, the system is set up not to have enough money, uh, not to have enough control. Uh, if you think of the, the the kids who are in this system who come to school with enormous enormous challenges that you don't have money or resources to address, what what are the likelihoods? I guess that uh, someone like Nikolai Vidi, as accomplished as he is, can actually move the needle here. Well, it's interesting because you you bring up an interesting point. Interesting point um, as far as being set up to fail. Uh, the school district got $617 million worth of help last year to get out of the red. We all know that. And there's this new law that set up the new school district. And uh, while they're not spending $1,000 a kid on debt anymore, uh, you know, the old school district and the, the local um, business taxes are dealing with the debt now, the school district is balancing its budget off of a teacher shortage. Essentially, you know, all the money they're not spending hiring teachers, they're leaving it in the bank and calling it <laughs> extra money. It's right. not extra money. It's not so, a surplus. It's not a surplus. So so just f- to, to bring the listeners up to speed on that, what what's the number of teachers that were short in Detroit, in Detroit? schools is short about 200 teachers and not hiring those teachers saves them some money in that, you know. And it allows you to make the, the books balance. It allows them to balance the books. But um, as far as uh, what does he have to do or anyone have to do, uh, you know, coming into a district that is balancing its budget off of the teacher shortage, essentially, and that has a financial review commission, at least for the next three years, overlooking the budget finances. And you have this huge academic achievement gap, unlike anything in the world almost. Absolutely. He's got to operate on two different levels, on two different tracks. Number one, make things better in the classroom. 
you know, and number two, long term, how do you how do you make sure that this district long term continues to grow, continues to um, educate kids or, or starts to educate kids in a way that closes the gap into the future? And and how do you bring more resources into the district, you yeah. know, create more partnerships, at least try and go to Lansing and get in someone's ear and say, this ain't working. We need long-term stability. We need long-term growth. We need more resources, not just for today, but forever. So he's got to operate on two tracks. Yeah. Uh, what is it in his background, do you think, that stood out for the school board from the other candidates they had. Now, one of the finalists, one of the other finalists uh, was a local superintendent, somebody who is a superintendent in River Rouge, Derek Coleman, somebody that uh, probably has a little more better idea of the kind of population that uh, that you find in Detroit schools and the challenges right. that well, they have. Well, he used to be a assistant and superintendent he used to work in here. Detroit That's when right. it was a larger district. That's right. So, so what was it? Do you think about Nikolai Vidi that pushed him over the top here? From what I'm told, uh, there it was a few things, um, and you know, it was a hard decision. From what I'm told, b- between a local guy who used to be an assistant superintendent and knows Detroit, knows the kids, knows the players, knows the politics. And a guy from another state, you know, Um, what put him over from what I'm told is, number one, he's Harvard educated. He has that Ph.D. Uh, Number two, he has been in charge of a larger budget than Derek has been in charge of. Derek Coleman in River Rouge, they probably have fewer students in River Rouge than you got at Cass Tech. Uh (laughs) So um, whereas Duval County has over 100,000 students. So he's been dealing with a billion dollar budget. So, you know, knowing the ins and outs of that, that was an advantage for him. Uh, Also, he has created some schools within his district to deal with children who are, you know, you know, they need help. Yeah. He a school for dyslexic children. He's dyslexic. A couple of his own children are dyslexic. Yeah. He he uh, in Jacksonville created a school just for dyslexic children. Um, that probably was a little self interested, but <laughs> there's that. And but then also he created a school for overage kids, kids who are two, three years behind. And so there was um, his focus on kids who are the most needy and reforming, you know, how they're educated. Those two things got a lot of attention from the school board here in Detroit. And and honestly, from what I'm told, when they went down there, uh, they were impressed with the fact that there were a lot of people who were like, you know, sad yeah. that he would even be leaving. Yeah. Yeah. He, he is very popular there. And, and they seem to believe that he was moving their schools in, in the right direction. Right. So on paper, I mean, you know, he has all the bells and whistles that they were looking for. And you got to also understand that the school board, a lot of their decision is being guided by the state law that created the new school district last year. They had to, um, you know, look at hiring someone who had some um, expertise in reforming schools and turnaround models who had been a superintendent for some years. And and so that, that goes back to Alicia Merriweather, yeah. who is, of course, homegrown. Everybody loved her, wanted her to be a finalist and to get real consideration. But according to what the board had to consider, she didn't have the qualifications. Yeah. I mean, uh, she'd never led a school district. Right. She'd never never led a school, in fact, before they made her interim superintendent. I think that probably 
hurt her in the process as well. This was someone who had never been a principal. Right. From what I'm told, that that did hurt her. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. Uh, my guest is Chastity Pratt-Dossie, a reporter with Bridge Magazine, uh, joins us frequently to talk about education issues here in the state of Michigan. Uh, we are talking about the hiring of Nikolai Vitti to be the first permanent superintendent to lead the new Detroit Public Schools Community District. What do you think about his hiring? Is this the person to turn around the fortunes of public schools here in the city of Detroit after decades, uh, to be honest, of decline and decay? Uh, is this the person who's going to lead us to a much more stable better performing district. Uh, Also talk to us about the idea of the way we fund schools here in the state of Michigan. Uh, One of the problems that Nikolai Vitti is going to face is tremendous shortfalls of money uh, to do the things that he might come up with or that the board might want to do. That's not a problem that's unique to Detroit. There are school districts all over the state of Michigan who face uh, financial challenges and uh, we have not revisited the whole issue of school funding statewide in 23 years. Is it time to do that again? Is it time to rethink the way we send money to education? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work your comments into the conversation. Let's go to Tom, Tom in Northwest Detroit. Welcome to Detroit today. Yeah, good morning to both of you. And, you know, I wish Mr. Vitti nothing but the best in terms of getting this thing called DPSCD turned around and headed in the right direction. Because I believe this, that if this doesn't, if it doesn't happen this time, what do they say, the last one out, turn the light off? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think that's where we are right now. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and, and as to Ms. Merriweather, I felt personally that if she was good enough to be the interim superintendent, she should have been at least, you know, given the opportunity to be interviewed, even if they weren't going to, you know, uh, you know, hire her, which was which is obvious, okay. But um, but you would have had her in the mix. Oh yeah, I would, you know, just out of due respect to the woman, and you know, she was there for a year. I mean, now granted, you know, she didn't handle the finances, okay. But in terms of what she was handling, you know, she did well. And I heard somebody make the comment about, well, we don't want to put that kind of burden on her if it comes down to financial decisions. And I'm going, I'm kind of going like, that's why you have a chief financial officer. Sure, sure. You know, someone there that, you know, can advise her and that kind of thing. But, um, uh, you know, I would, to use that term, Mr. Vitti's a homeboy, and hopefully, you know, the, <laughs> uh, to use that term again, the prodigal child return can you know be the guy? Yeah, I think I think I think that matters, Tom. I, th- I think somebody who's from this this area, yeah, even if some, they're not some uh, history, right? Even if they haven't worked in uh, the public schools in Detroit, has some idea of the dynamics here and and the role that they're going to play in in that job. So, can I address the elephant in the room? What's that? <laughs> the race question. He's white. He is, and so I. <laughs> I was going to get to that, but <laughs> you have taken us there first. Uh, so, yes, he is white. Uh, that also means that this will be the first time since, and I, I went and looked this up, since 1966 that Detroit has a white superintendent and a white mayor. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What, so does, what does that, that mean? mean? <laughs> <laughs> you go first. <laughs> well, first, I, I have to say this. Um There are people who are, I mean, I totally understand it. Look, most of the kids in Detroit public schools are African-American and that, 
and they're poor and low income. And so they're on the ugly side of the achievement gap. And there are parents who very understandably want someone in the role who understands uh, the achievement gap that they're dealing with, who under who has cultural competency, yeah. who understands what these children are dealing with socially and 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 economically and all the other things. And so it makes sense. You want someone who's socially and culturally competent to deal with these children and their issues. At the same time, what um, we have to understand is that he is like a lot of the parents in Detroit public schools in that he has the achievement gap living in his home. He sure. has four black children. Right. You know, he's married he's to married an African-American woman. woman. He yes. has four African-American children. So like most of the parents in Detroit, he has African-American children to deal with. And two who have uh, dyslexia, which is, you know, it's not easy. It's an, it's what, what do you call it? A, it's an, a, it's not a special need, but it's definitely a learning uh, situation that he has to deal with with his kids. Yeah. Uh, so there's that. And, um, you know, at this point, I don't understand what the conversation is. I I feel like well, I think that's a it's a broader conversation than about schools, right? It's a it's a conversation about the city uh, and who is in control of the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is I get that. you know <laughs> whose city is it and who is the city being managed for? And that and, and again, I think the connection between uh, there being a white superintendent. And a white mayor at the same time. Oh, the optics on that is crazy, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, this is an 85, 86% African-American city. It's, a, it's very proudly majority African-American. And, and we have long been very proud of the African-American leadership uh, that we've produced here. Um, you know, there's no way not to, to acknowledge that this is a significant cultural shift for the city to, to go back to and you know, uh, irony of ironies, 1966, a year before the rebellion, is the last time that we had yes. uh, a white mayor and yep. white superintendent. So, Definitely. I mean, I think <laughs> it, it, it's something you have to at least acknowledge. Oh, um, absolutely. That's why I brought it up. I mean, you know, I, I get when I say I don't understand what the conversation is. I don't understand why people are saying that he's not qualified because he's not black, but he has black kids. You know, <laughs> Good enough. Just like me. I got black kids. <laughs> I got well, I mean, there is something to that idea that, that you, even if you are not African-American, if you are related to someone who's African-American, you're married to someone who's African-American, you see uh, race in a really different way. You see the way race controls and, and influences things in our society in a way that uh, other people uh, who, well, there's who, a there's a level of empathy that parents of black children have that, and share is is all I'm suggesting. Yeah. Um, so at this point, the the other thing though is the 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 FRC, the money part, the over the financial, the financial oversight. oversight. Mm. Um, in three years, if they continue to balance their budgets, the FRC can excuse themselves or they can get rid, dissolve themselves. And this board is looking at a five-year contract for this guy. So he could be here after the um, FRC is dismissed. Yeah. So then you would have, and the FRC can dismiss themselves from the city of Detroit soon as well. So then you would definitely have two white guys running the city free and clear of any oversight. Right. Um, and again, the optics on that is, is bizarre, but 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Chastity Pratt-Dossie, a reporter with Bridge Magazine, uh, joins us frequently to talk about education issues. We were talking about the hiring of Nikolai Vidi to be the first permanent superintendent of the new Detroit Public Schools Community District. Uh, also talking just about uh, education more generally, the funding for schools here in the state of Michigan. What does it look like in your school district? Uh, Detroit is not the only district in the state that is having a hard time with funding. It's not the only district that is uh, trying to figure out uh, exactly how to make ends meet and how to make uh, the money work to the best outcomes for students. Is it time for us to revisit the way we fund schools here in Michigan? Lots of other states have come up with different ways to do that. We haven't had that conversation in 23 years here in the state of Michigan. Is it time for us to talk about school funding? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll work your comments into the conversation. Uh, the uh, The idea of how long Nikolai Vidi is going to be here, I think, is also a, a, a really interesting uh, question. Given that, for me, the 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 main recommendation for Alicia Merriweather was the fact that she brought sort of a stable, calm, reasonable. Uh, governance to the to the system after years of this and that. Somebody's here for a very short period of time, and they're gone. Uh, people get fired, that sort of thing. Um, if they give Nikolai Vidi a five year contract, I think that will sort of assuage some of my concerns here about switching horses again in the middle of of, right. of the race. But we are doing that uh, without question. That we are uh, <clears throat> we are yet again going to going to a new a new regime oh, yeah. uh, that that could overturn the apple cart in some ways and start us again from zero I think that's got to be something that the board wants to be mindful of right I mean this the school district has been in a state of constant flux for the past 20 plus years so um you know, they keep throwing the state, keeps throwing the spaghetti against a wall when it comes to Detroit schools. Let's see if this will work. Let's see if that will work. Well, if he gets a five-year contract, that is an opportunity for at least that amount of time of trying to, you know, work together, sure. row in the same direction. Um, not sure that that's going to happen as far as a five-year because they are, they are negotiating. And um, But if I'm a superintendent, I want something, some stability, some long-term commitment and he's moving you know back towards his home so maybe he would be amenable to a five-year contract um but you know what i'm gonna differ with tom a little bit or the caller who said you know if this doesn't work you know this you know last one out close the door that's it or turn off the lights i i feel like you know they have been the state has been experimenting with the school district for so long if this doesn't work something else will come up (laughs) they'll come up with something else because there's been no real commitment to detroit public schools to its stability over the last 20 years no that's true i i think the concern uh, and maybe this is tom's concern is certainly mine is more people will leave well and what's next 
could look really different from what we know as public education. I get it. You have Betsy DeVos as the U.S. Education Secretary. That's a very valid concern. I I would just submit that, you know, as long as there's, you know, 600,000 people in the city, there are going there's going to be a school district. And no, they're not going to charterize all these schools. They can't even do that right now. I wrote a story about it a week, a couple weeks ago. They they don't even have the 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 law doesn't allow for the whole entire charterization of the school district at this point anyway. I yeah. mean, could that change in a couple of years? Of course it can. This is Michigan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 on the phones is the number. 313-577-1019. Uh, let's go to Mark. Mark in Southfield. Welcome to good, Detroit Today. Yeah, good, good morning, Steve. Great hey. show. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, it's Mark. Uh, I'm a white guy in Southfield. And I got to say, I'm <laughs> just really appalled at the race discussion this morning. Let's just focus on the mayor. I mean, would you agree that our white mayor has had a positive impact on the city in the last two or three years? Yes or no? Uh, I would, uh, but that doesn't that doesn't mean that you can divorce that discussion from the racial context in which that takes place. I mean, Mike Duggan is the first white mayor in the city of Detroit in forty years. Uh, it is a it is a city that is overwhelmingly African American and has had African American leadership. Uh, for a long time. I, I guess I don't see that as a negative uh, thing to sort of bring up. It's just it's just a fact of life, and it's a, a, a truth of the cultural context that we live in. I mean, and the truth of it is, when you are a resident or a parent in the city, you want someone in charge who understands your 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 individual cultural needs. You're you know you're not the same as everyone else. You have different way of life. You yeah. have different values. You have you know you have different needs. Right. And if you have someone who's culturally incompetent who doesn't understand you and your needs, they're not going to serve you well. Yeah, Mark. Mark, I guess what was it about the the racial discussion that rubbed you the wrong way? Because eighty five percent of the, the population is black. They voted for a white mayor. They didn't care what his skin color was. That's working. Why can't you follow the same approach with the school system? Well, I'm what the guy's skin color is. I guess we're not. Okay. I guess we're not. I, I guess I'm not arguing. Uh, I guess I'm not arguing about whether he will be effective or not because he's white. I'm just making a note of the significance, the cultural significance of the first white superintendent since 1966, uh, the first time since 1966 that we have a white mayor and superintendent. Uh, again, this idea that race doesn't matter, Mark, I think is is pretty Naive. pretty uh, absurd. Uh, do you, is, is that what you're trying to argue? All I'm saying is let's look at facts in three years. It didn't matter with the mayor's office, so maybe it won't matter with the school's. Well, I hope it, right, it, it but, will you know, matter. It, it absolutely matters when you have kids in a school district and they're so far behind. You don't have time to waste with someone who doesn't have the cultural competency to help your kids who are on the wrong end of the achievement gap. It matters. Yeah. You don't want continued experimentation with people who don't get it. Yeah. And, and race matters because it has always mattered in this country. And that's not uh, it's not black people's fault, uh, for starters. Uh, that's the has to do with the way that the nation was founded. Uh, black people were property for the first 130-some years of, of our existence and have spent the rest of the balance of the time of this country's history trying to realize some e- e- equality, uh, to get to the place where we are on the same level uh, in every way with 
with uh, with white citizens. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with with discussing that, Mark, and and noting that this is a cultural shift in a city that uh, that has looked one way for a really long time. But I appreciate uh, I appreciate your listening. And of course, I p- appreciate the call. Let's go to Aaron on the west side. Aaron, welcome to the Hi, good morning. Go ahead. Uh, and I appreciate that last comment you made. That was very well, uh, very tastefully said. I wanted to say the only reason I called was because of that last caller, you know, uh, to try to bury our heads in the sand and pretend like race is not an issue is is why it's been perpetuated and, and, and existed for so long. We need to stop being so uncomfortable talking, talking about, about race. reality. Yeah. It's a reality. So, yeah, the mayor is doing well. He's doing the best he can with what he's working with. Uh, uh, there are other people being put in place. They, some of them happen to be white. That's fine. But we don't need to act like it's, you know, we, we're so concerned about being politically correct that we divorce truth out of the, the conversations. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Aaron, we, tell me, tell me this. You're a Detroiter. As I said earlier in the show, this will be the first time since 1966 that Detroit has a white mayor, white superintendent of schools. Does that what does that mean to you? What 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 do you draw from that? Well, we have a white mayor because even though the city is majority black, they apparently voted for him. That's true. In so, overwhelming numbers, by the okay, way. Okay, I mean, so and uh, they they wrote his name in right, <laughs> in right. a city where they say people are illiterate. Well, they weren't right. that illiterate. Spelled that. <laughs> Spelled that. Or somebody cheated. <laughs> right. Yeah. Go ahead. Rising some trust and, and some faith in trying something different. Right. Uh, I have a I have some issues being being a. a being here all my life, uh, gentrification is, is, is a concern of mine. The the uh, slow process of the inner cities getting some of the benefit. All of those things are issues, are issues and concerns. But we are moving in a better direction than we had been. Um, my major concern is the people who have been here and suffered through the lean times should be rewarded for their faithfulness, and I'm one of them. Uh, I bought property in the city sure. even when things were bad. I stayed here. I worked for the city. I suffered through uh, uh, having no raises and, and, and giving back money that uh, uh, we had agreed to, to, to and all of that. It, and I think if things are getting better, some of that should come to the people who have been loyal. Yeah. Th- those are my concerns, not the fact that somebody's white yeah. and, and doing a better job a than great, somebody black may have done. That's a really that's a really great way to, to, to put that, Anthony, or, uh, Aaron. I think that is the way most people who live in the city think about it. What is going to happen right. to those people who live here and those people who have lived here for a really long time and waiting for things to get better? And here's the difference between 1966 and now when, you know, both those leaders were white and now it looks like they're going to be white again. The city is so much different now. you got sure. a majority black city. You have a, a, a poverty rate that's ridiculous and you have an undereducated population. So what are they going to do about it? Right. I mean, really, you need jobs and you need education. If they can't bring jobs and education to this, then, you know, they're going to they're going to it's, it's going to be a wash. It's going to be what was the point? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, okay, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue talking about Nikolai Vidi as school superintendent here in Detroit. We're going to continue talking about race in the context of Nikolai Vidi being superintendent in Detroit. Is it significant that the city will have a white mayor and white superintendent for the first time since 1966? 313-577-1019 is the number to join that conversation. Stay with us on Detroit Today. News, music, culture, and community. Every day. Every day. Every day. On 1019 WDET. Detroit's public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining in. My guest is Chastity Pratt-Dossie. She's a reporter at Bridge Magazine. She joins us frequently to talk about education issues here in Detroit and Michigan. Today, we're talking about the hiring of Nikolai Vidi. He will be the first permanent superintendent to lead the new Detroit Public Schools community district hired from Duval County Public Schools in Jacksonville, Florida. He is a native, though, of the Detroit area, grew up here. Uh, we're also talking about funding in schools, what the things that uh, Nikolai Vidi might want to do. How is he going to have the money to do those things? The school district has a nominal surplus right now, but that's because there are, are about 200 teachers who have not been hired to teach in Detroit public schools. You're not going to be able to sustain that reality for any reasonable amount of time. So then what are you going to do to balance the books and have the dollars that they need to reinvest in the classrooms here, uh, reinvest in moving forward. We're also talking about race. Nikolai Vidi is, uh, is a, a white person who uh, will be the first white person to lead our city school since 1966. Uh, he will, this will also mark the first time since 1966 that Detroit has a white superintendent and a white mayor. Does that matter? What does that mean? What is the significance, uh, the cultural significance of that shift? Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Call and talk about, let's talk about race, Uh, something we talk about frequently here on the program in a a number of different contexts, especially the context of the city of Detroit. Does white leadership for Detroit mean something good for the people who live here who are majority African-American? Does it not necessarily uh, comport with the idea of leadership reflecting the population? What do you think about that? What are the things that run through your head when you think about uh, leadership in the city changing culturally that way? Uh, does it change outcomes? Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number to join that conversation. Uh, let's go to Jeff in Ann Arbor. Jeff, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello, Mr. Henderson. Hey. Thank you for taking my call. Certainly. Uh, yes, I called just a couple things. One, um, first, uh, do we feel uncomfortable talking about the fact that uh, we should uh, be a little concerned that we have a, a white mayor and a white uh, school superintendent when uh, they were elected by the people that I think everyone has made a clear point that uh, were primarily African-American in Detroit? Yeah. Um, I guess well, I think I get in the feeling that your discussion is falling into the trap that we had with the national election 
where everybody, all the, let's say it, so-called elites were saying that there was no way that Donald Trump should win or would win Mm -hmm. when they really weren't paying attention to the actual people who were doing the voting. Who were making the decisions, sure. That's that's correct. And then I guess as far as that goes, um, I don't want us to, to think that maybe the people aren't, I guess, educated enough to make their own decisions um, because I will tell you that it breaks my heart the stories that I hear with the uh, uh, school situation in in Detroit and I just I don't know what to do to fix it and I hope that the people in Detroit should be given the uh, yeah. the chance to select who they think are going to be the ones to fix it and that yeah, we I mean, yeah, question what they decide yeah no 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 question Jeff and and we should also note that the people here in the city of Detroit have not had the opportunity since 2009 to make that decision for themselves. That's how long that the state has had control uh, of the schools most recently. If you go back 20 years, uh, I think it's 13 or 14 of those of those years that uh, that the state has had <clears throat> control of, of the schools. And, and I think you're right. That is that is what's important. The idea that uh, that people who live here, the people who um, the people who are affected by the decisions that get made by the school board or the superintendent or the mayor, are the ones who get to make the decision. And and uh, as long as that is sort of in the forefront, and I'm not sure how much else we should worry about. It, it is remarkable, I think. Uh, again, and that's why we're talking about it. It's remarkable that well, uh, that we've made these decisions here in the city of Detroit, a majority. African-American population that has decided that the person who leads the city is going to be white and has now decided through proxy of a school board that the person who leads the schools is going to be white. I, I just I, I don't know. I can't with the people who don't want to talk about it because, look, African-Americans in the 400 years that we have been here have never been on the same social and or economic playing field as white people. And in Detroit, we're coming out of the largest municipal bankruptcy in America. We're coming out of a school district that has the worst achievement in America. And we in the city the African-American population is the huge majority. So, of course, there's concerns that the people who are going to lead, uh, who if those people being white, if they don't take into account the con- and consider and, and boldly say we are here to help the African-American community, sure. the concern is that they will be left behind. Some white people will move into the city now and they will continue to be economically and socially in charge of things. And the black people who are here and stayed here will continue to be economically and socially left behind. That's a huge concern. That's it's right. a real concern. Yeah. And to say, oh, well, they voted for him, so they must. Well, the <laughs> point is, if it shakes out in two, three, five, ten years that they voted for someone who left them behind. Come on, people. Yeah, let's 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 be real. Yeah. No, that's uh, it's one of the things that we've got to sort of keep front of mind as as we go through all of these things. Uh, let's go to uh, Vincent, Vincent and Hamtramck. Welcome to Detroit today. Yes, uh, thank you for taking my call. I mean, uh, just two things now uh, about the race issue. Um, one, if the compelling reason to have African-American leadership is cultural literacy, uh, I don't think that that's necessarily, I mean, you don't, the color of your skin doesn't, isn't, I mean, it's a factor, but it's not 100% determiner if you have that cultural literacy at all. Um, I think and then, that's an interesting point, all, Ryan. 
Yeah. Um, I was uh, I was a public school teacher in the EAA in 2012. Bless your heart. And it was, you know, people <laughs> talk about the conditions of the schools, and you know, it just can't be said enough how difficult it is for students, teachers, communities, families. Um, there's really not a lot of resources. And yeah. if money, if it does not just go directly to classrooms to support teachers, then we're going to fail. Yeah, yeah. Did uh, you say 2008? I don't think the EAA was around in 2008. He was a EAA teacher in 2012. Oh, 2012. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, hey, that's... <laughs> Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I can't I mean, with EAA. We could have two hours of conversation about. I feel right, right. Uh, but I mean, you know, whether someone has cultural empathy and and will do what is best for the people who are of a certain race or culture, does it do? I mean, we've seen black people run this district into the ground. So that's just true. because they were black didn't mean that they were going to It wasn't do the right because thing. they were black. Right? <laughs> I mean that's that's always the the the, the problem there is that I always hear uh, from people often outside the city who say black people ran this into the ground. Black people caused these things to right. happen and I'm exactly. always like, well, the fact that they're black wasn't the the reason, the, the reason that, that, that they happened. They may have been incompetent exactly. or corrupt or whatever and and similarly uh, because someone is white and now is going to lead the district doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to be better at it than uh, the African-Americans before. doesn't mean they're going to be worse. Uh, the, the issue is, uh, again, this, this sort of cultural context of these conversations. When that, you see uh, those parents stand up at the school board meetings and say, we want a black person to re- lead this district, what they're saying is they want someone who's going to come in and say, we understand that black right. children have That's right. very unique needs and we are going to address them and we're going to call it what it is. We're not going to say, oh, we're going to do the best for students. They're, we're going to say, look, black kids got some issues that need to be addressed and we're going to address them straight away. Right. Period. Yeah. Don't walk away from it or, you know, duck and dodge. And this is what it is. Yeah. Uh, let's quickly go to Leslie in Hazel Park. Leslie, welcome, welcome to Detroit today. Oh, thank you. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm being a, a uh, student of the Detroit schools. Um, I, I could see that the fact that they haven't had any money to put into the schools, that the one, same ones that I went to that were dang near antiquated at that time, um, they have to be able to think outside the box, the, the box that has been given to them, and the boxes have been antiquated in the first place for God knows how long. And um, the race... It, and I understand that person's viewpoint that they called a couple of times ago that they were a little, maybe a little bit upset about uh, the fact that he's white. Yeah. Uh, it, to me, it doesn't matter, but it, it, it does and it doesn't. Yeah. Race is certainly should be paramount on the whole thing, but have the wherewithal to think outside of the box because the box has been battered, beaten, sunk, and trying to be risen, and it's just not getting it. So we... Detroit needs to have somebody who's competent, number obviously, and who's tuned in. Who's tuned into what what all of that looks like, Leslie? I, I think you're absolutely right, and thank you very much for the call. All right, uh, when we come back, we are going to hear from the Kresge Foundation uh, about some new grants they are making here in the city of Detroit that focus on our neighborhoods. Stay with us on Detroit today. <laughs> 